And as we think of different requests, I posed a question um, to some people this week about if you were given $5 a day to give away or to invest in, who would be that person you would give those $5? Or what would you do with that $5 every day of the week, every month? Like, what would you do with it? And some people said, well, I might keep it until it was more meaningful and then I could give it to someone in need. Or maybe it's like, well, I'm getting coffee and uh, I will buy the person behind me coffee. I'll pay for the person in front of me. Or just trying to think of practical ways if God gave us this little gift and we think, well, it's too small to really make a difference. And I want coffee too. So $5, that's like good for my coffee, but really not for their coffee. Then we start to make it about us instead of other people. And I just thought, what if we had just a small gift every day that we could give to someone, that we could invest for someone, what would that look like? And maybe it is we start to pay for somebody's coffee or somebody's breakfast, or maybe it is we start to understand like we can pray and intercede for people as they're walking through their day. We remember people that used to sit next to us in church, behind us in church. We used to remember families that used to come and just be so alive and their children are older now and they might be in middle school or high school. And we start to pray that God would prepare them for whatever's next that they would prepare them like Hayden standing alone for standing on the promises that was a witness to us. We start to pray for people that they might be able to stand on their own and be a witness. And we start to invest that $5, that whatever it is, just we think it's small, but in God's hands, it's mighty. We start to look how we can pray and intercede and invest in others that God would have his way in their lives. And so we pray, Jesus, that we would see as you would See, that we would have a heart that hears your heartbeat, that God, you would change us to desire that others would know your salvation, that we might be compelled to move with great urgency deeper and closer to you, that others might know your love, that we would intercede for them, that we would be there for them, that we would lift them up in prayer, that we might be the answer to someone's prayer because we responded in our obedience to you. And Father, with our heart heavy, with our concerns known, we just pray that we would not just be a resounding gong just talking, but may we just be close to you, that your voice is what's heard, what's responded to. So here we are, Jesus. You know our hurts. You know our heart. And we pray. Amen. Um, Wednesday, I shared about Lori Krieg. She's an author. She has a phenomenal story. And in her book, she shares the name of the book is Impossible Marriage. She shares how it seemed like there's this huge rock, this big boulder just clouding her vision. She couldn't see past it. It was her fault. It was from trauma in the past. And all she saw was this huge boulder. But then it came about that over time with prayer, with counseling, with just meeting over and over in prayer and reading God's word, that she felt like she could see the boulder break in two. She could see that there was life beyond the boulder, that there was life beyond what she knew, but what it meant was she had to walk through the split sides of the boulder. She needed to pass through that pain, that hurt, and she just wanted to bypass it. She didn't want anything to do with it, but in her words, she said, it felt like God cracked that boulder and showed me what was on the other side, but I had to take the painstaking walk too the other side. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone you know. But I think for the church, that is our mission for ourselves, but for so many, 
that they would have the tools to trust in Jesus to walk through the pain that they've endured because God's created us for abundant life. But for that abundant life to happen, we need to get past our pain and understand that by his stripes, we are healed. Through his pain, we have that abundant life. We have a special song. This was written by Johnny. I don't know if you want to share much or just go into it, but this is a uh, special song that I think uh, communicates to us how we can minister to those around us. This is about turning to Jesus. As simple as that, right? I remember all those old Billy Graham sermons. I always came back to that altar call. That's all it was.
Amen. Say, let it be done. Yeah, you can clap too. I mean, that's it's a God clap. It's a Johnny clap. It's a worship team clap. It's it's good to be introduced to um, gifts that God's given us. And so we say thank you to the music team, those that come and practice. For those that are desiring to be involved, we just say thank you. <clears throat> as we give not just tithes and offerings, but also our gifts and talents as we show up. I don't know who said it, or I forget the person that said it, but they said 90% of winning is showing up. 90% of winning is just showing up, and that is 
good news. Uh, online giving, you can give uh, online, hopeforvermont.org, the Be Generous tab, mailing checks to the Chapel Campus here in person. Again, we're just very fortunate to be able to give to others and show God's love in a practical way. And maybe it will be where we give $5 a day to ministry leaders for them to invest either in their team or the communities that they uh, come in contact with. I know before we used to... Uh, have an outreach project. We used it, well, at Christmas, and we tried it in July, where we gave every adult $40, and we said, look for God to open the doors and see who you would give this money to. And hearing the stories was great. I had one guy, he said, well, I didn't know who I gave it to, so the first person, or who to give it to, so the first person I saw, I just gave him $40. Like, well, hey, that's good. And then other people say, like, I agonized. I was, like, so nervous. Like, maybe I'm going to give it to the wrong person. And I don't think you have to be that concerned. But it's like, I want to be in response to the Holy Spirit speaking to me to give. And I just think what a great way to show the community but teach us as Christians to listen to the voice of God and respond in obedience to him. Not like, oh, I don't know who, who, so I'm just going to give it away quick and not be so paralyzed like, oh, I don't want to make a mistake because sometimes in our Christian life, that's how we act and we respond and we forget that God is love and he wants to give us joy and he fills us with hope and peace that we can share with others. Don't share your anxiety of like, oh no, God, I might miss you with somebody else because that is a very poor and wrong representation of Jesus. We want just to share the truth of God with them. And that's, well, a sermon for another day. But this is a sermon for today from Acts 12.1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And you might say, Jeff, aren't we already through most of Acts 12? Well, this is kind of a refresher, a reminder about King Herod. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took excuse me, placed during the Passover celebration. For the first time since Jesus' death, Roman authorities uh, took, it should say took, uh, I don't know what two it is, a direct uh, violent action against the church. They took violent action against the church. And you might say, come on, Jeff, I already know this. Then Peter escapes and he told a little girl, like we've been through this, we know this. Well, let's kind of go back and understand what took place Herod saw that persecution of Christians pleased the people. So he was in charge. He had control. But anybody usually that has control, they like the pats on the back. They like the applause of people. They like that affirmation and confirmation. Hey, I'm doing a good thing. Well, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking after Jesus provided a miracle. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed this is what Peter did after going into the house. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led them out of prison. Can you imagine like him telling this story about how God rescued him, how this miracle happened? And if it was us, if it was me telling you, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, about the Boston Celtics game last night, how they had it won and they were just playing great. Then all of a sudden the wheels were falling off the bus and they had a 10 point lead. But in the closing seconds, it got down to a two point lead. And Jimmy Butler for the Miami Heat, he had a shot for a three pointer. And 
Al Horford fouled him, which uh, Jimmy Butler is not a great three-point shooter, but he fouled him. So Jimmy Butler, one of the most clutch performers there is, he goes to the foul line. And how many foul shots does he get to shoot? Three. How many points are they down? Two. And this is all within like five seconds left in the game. Five seconds left in the game. And my team, the Boston Celtics, are about to win. But then Al Horford fouls Jimmy Butler, and he's going to the foul line to shoot three foul shots. Not a guarantee, but when you're Jimmy Clutch Buckets, Butler, it's going to be, well, yes, Jimmy Butler made all three foul shots. So my team that was up two is now down one. You didn't know you were going to math class, but Jay's taking a math course, and I'm just trying to say, hey, I know math too. Three minus two is one. So this is what they're down, and there's three seconds left in the game. So the Boston Celtics call a timeout, and you might know this story, but like for me, I got excited about this story. I can see you guys are very enthused with it as well, but they call a timeout, and they're about to pass the ball in, and they pass the ball in, and the two best players for the Boston Celtics were guarded, so they passed it to another guy who's known not for being a shooter, but he takes a shot, and it hits the rim, and it hits the rim, and it rolls around the rim, and the clock is ticking down. Three seconds, the clock is ticking down, and it comes off the rim, and the Boston Celtics were down one point. But the inbounder was this guy, Derek White. And Derek White, after he passed the ball in, he went down to the baseline and Marcus Smart shot the shot. And Derek White saw that I need to crash the board. So he ran to the rim. And as the ball was hitting and hitting and spinning off the rim, Derek White with 0.1 tenth of a second left, he taps the ball in and it's good. And the Boston Celtics won game six and it's going to be a game seven on Monday. That actually happened. And I get excited telling that story. Can you imagine Peter telling this story and people want to cheer? They can't believe it. They're so excited. He's like, shh, they're still looking for me. Shh, quiet down. Try to keep your enthusiasm down. And sometimes you can't keep your enthusiasm down because you're so excited. It's what in this story they were praying for. Well, the Celtics, I was not praying because I don't think God cares who wins or loses. He just wants you to use your talents for him. But I was a little bit kind of praying like, oh, it'd be nice to have a game seven. But and so in this story, they were praying and then it happened. And then there's exciting and excitement. And he motioned for them to quiet down so he could tell them the story. Sometimes we need to quiet down when God moves so we can see his next step, his next plan for us. Don't get caught up in the emotion, the enthusiasm, the excitement that we forget the next steps that God has for us because he has us on mission. He has a plan for us. He has something for us, the next step, not just to see that boulder is cracked. I can see I'm free, but no, now you have to do the hard work of walking through that pain in the forgiven for being forgiven and in the healing of Jesus. And then he went to another place, Peter. And then he went to another place. It wasn't just celebrate, I'm free. He went to another place. Peter understood he was on mission for God, not just to be rescued from the prison, but to be on mission for God. He went from the prison to another place. Sometimes we go from prison into hiding. We go into uh, like trying to self-protect. We don't want to get caught. 
but Peter went to another place because he understood in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jesus speaking, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will keep telling people about Jesus everywhere you go. God's going to open doors for you to share. At dawn, this is early in the morning, there's a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter because they knew, as we know now from history, if you had a prisoner escape, that was not good if you were on duty that day. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards. You can read that. Herod interrogated the guards. Which also begs the question that when Jesus' body had escaped, those guards, centurion soldiers, should have been executed. But because of the cover-up, they weren't. Just interesting to think back about how people try to cover up, cover up, cover up. But we move on. After Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while, Herod was the king. He had authority. He had power. He had control. He had uh, this well, black mark, is that the right expression, on his guards that he took Peter because people were excited about the persecution of Christians. Not only a headquarters for the Roman governors is at Caesarea, but Agrippa used it as his capital when no governors were assigned to Judea. So we go back. Sometimes it's interesting to read the Bible and to know why words are there. Other times, like, ah, it's just boring. Like, uh, Judea to stay in Caesarea. Like, why does that even matter? Like, I just want to get to the next verse and finish my five minutes in the morning so I can get on with with my day. It's like sometimes we need to slow down, understand why words are stated in the Bible for our purpose. Herod left Judea to go to Caesarea. Caesarea was the headquarters for the Roman governors. He went there to regroup, to strategize, and to assess what took place. What took place? How did this guy Peter go? But also, I am the king. No one defiles me. I am in control. I have the right things. People need to follow me. How can I, because people were excited when persecution happened, how can I bring back persecution so people are following me and know my power? He wanted to be remembered for his power, control, and authority. Agrippa found himself in himself. He found his identity in his control, in his title. He found his worth in what he thought, what he did in his title. So we go to Acts 12.20. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. So what do we know about Tyre and Sidon? Maybe a lot, maybe very little. I did not know much. They were the leading cities in Phoenicia. Where's Phoenicia? Well, it's modern day Lebanon. Why does that matter? Well, some people say, well, the Bible doesn't make sense. Those uh, places don't even exist. But if you do a little study, you can realize where they are and what they do. So Tyre and Sidon were needing King Herod because they needed food. Because where King Herod was, it was like the, uh, not Bible Belt, I just messed up. What's the bread basket? Yes, bread basket. Um, the bread basket. So that's what happened. So they needed 
When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. I don't know why I got a little geeked out in this study, but I did. It wasn't just like, hey, like just talk a sermon and be nice, but be exciting. It was more like royal robes. And then in the study notes, it said, whoops, it said, the historian Josephus describes a silver robe dazzling bright. Why does that matter? Well, maybe to you it doesn't, but to me it's like, this is saying Josephus, the historian, wrote this down about King Herod. So it's not just recorded in the Bible, this letter that Luke was writing to his friend Theophilus to brag on his friends that follow Jesus. This was also written down by a historian and historian, a historian, joy, grammar, police, a historian and historian. But it was written down by uh, Josephus to say that this is not just a Bible account. This was a political figure making an incredible speech, and this is how he was dressed. So for whatever reason, this historian Josephus thought it was important to record, and the Bible corroborates, collaborates, corroborates that story. This speech by Herod was a political speech filled with, look at me. Look at me, King Herod Agrippa. Look at me that holds this power. Look at me that has this control. Look at me that is uh, able to give you the food. Look at me. An appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them all about himself. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a God, not of a man. Maybe that's because they wanted to eat. Maybe. Or maybe it's also because they identified the king as the ultimate authority, the one in control, the one that they had power, the one that they had to submit to. So they said, hey, we are going to say that King Herod Agrippa, he's a god. He's not a man. When people acclaimed him a god, he did not deny it. Sunderman study Bible. Implying that King Herod said, yeah. Bring it on a little bit louder. Who am I? Oh, you want to eat? Tell me again. Who am I? What can I do? Who else do you have to turn to? No one? Yeah, that's right. Me. He thought himself equal with God. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. Haughtiness before a fall. My hope is built on nothing less than... My hope is built on nothing less... My hope is built on nothing less. So for a moment, does not say my hope is built on who's in the White House. My hope is built on the church I go to. My hope is built on that person I want to be identified with because they have power. They have authority. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Pretty graphic. And the word placement is very interesting because it was not he died and his body was consumed with worms. It was this illness, this sickness. If it's too graphic, I... Well, I don't apologize. I just want to share it. He was consumed with worms 
which led to his death. Why is this important? Just because we're going through the book of Acts, just because it's the next verses in chapter 12. This is from Acts 12, 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. This is from the Filament Bible app I shared before. Here's just demise from a terrible illness. Contrast with the growth of the Christian church and the unhindered message of good news. Herod, the king, authority, control, power. He could say, you need to be executed, you can be saved. Give them food, keep food away from them. Herod, the one that thought to be a god, the one that thought to have the ultimate authority, he did not have any authority because God's will was that because Herod said, hey, I'm the same as you, that Herod was struck with an illness and died. But the message of God led to many New believers. This is the third summary uh, summary report of progress. Three times so far, we've seen that the number of believers grew. In Acts, the number of believers grew. It wasn't dependent on any other person except for Jesus. It wasn't dependent on any authority figure except for God. The third summary, and then three more follow in this book of Acts. Because you will receive power and be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you telling people about me, Jesus, everywhere. When Jesus, um, in Matthew, when Jesus asked this question, let me just read it for you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? But who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Who did Peter put his hope on? Hope in. Nothing less but Jesus. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You are the Messiah. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not conquer it, from the NIV. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on the rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome Peter will not overcome the church. The church. So Peter knows where his hope is built. So we go back as a refresher, as we look to close, conclude. It makes everybody perk up when you say conclusion. So you guys perk up. But no, we probably have about seven more minutes. So go back to sleep. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. How much what? Please, of people, persecution. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. When they prayed for Peter, there were Christians that said, ah, oh, that can't be him. We're praying for him. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. They were stunned. They were just shocked that God had answered their prayer. Build my church, Matthew 16, 18. This is what God, I believe, through Scripture is telling us now today, that when we put our efforts into looking at power, authority, and control, 
we fail to miss what submission surrender can do as we follow Jesus. Jesus will build his church. If, and I'm praying, and I've heard good reports about the new principle allowing us to return here and the good things that will continue to take place as long as God wants us here. But if I said, oh no, it's going to be somebody different, and I got so fearful, instead of saying, Jesus, if you want us here, keep the doors open for us to meet here. But if you want us somewhere else, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, to walk through that difficult process of rather raising money or bringing on staff or learning different things so we can go and follow you. Whatever your will is we want to follow you, God. We don't want to just look at what we can see and say, hey, make it easy on my life. So Peter motioned them to be quiet. Then he told James and the other brothers what had happened. And then he went to another place. Peter was on mission for God. We are to be on mission for God. This is back to Acts 12, 22 and 23. The people gave him a great ovation. This is saying to King Agrippa, you are so awesome. You have so much great power. What your speech said, it really resonated with me. It was so inspiring. It's the voice of a God, not a man instantly. Take caution. Instantly, this happened in this case, and because of God's grace, it may be a little bit longer for us. But when we put all of our faith in a person instead of in Jesus, this is what could happen instantly. An angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness. He was consumed with worms and died. Where do you put your trust? This word praise in the earlier scripture it means glory, splendor, brilliance, honor. This is what they gave to a man. Glory, splendor, brilliance honor. He was asking that for himself, Herod Agrippa. But Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you, Jesus, are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. So meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Even though that political figure, King Herod died, even though he had so much force, so much authority that those soldiers were executed for allowing Peter to escape when they didn't allow it. It was a miracle of God. The angel did it. So they could have said, hey, the angel did it. Why are you killing me? Well, because the king had the authority to say, hey, I can't take it out on the angel, so I'm going to take it out on you. And sometimes, if I could be so bold to say, things happen in our life because those that are doing it, cannot see, are not in tune with the spiritual forces of this dark world. They just see flesh and blood. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. So don't say, oh, you're taking it out on me. It's so bad. It's uncomfortable and it's irritating and it's annoying and it's frustrating. It's just so, oh, I can't believe it. But we have to be reminded that we are spiritual beings made in the image of God. So we have to say, Jesus, help me respond in grace and love and obedience to you, not just looking at this flesh and blood individual causing these things to happen. I want to follow you, God, more than anything else. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So the Bible was not written in chapter and verses. And sometimes when we read, it's just like, that's kind of weird how that's thrown in as the last verse in chapter 12. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But it also is a reminder that it didn't just stop with a miracle of Peter being released. And you might be saying, but I've been serving God and there have been high points and low points. And now it's like 
a low point. And God, I don't know if I can do it again. And Jesus is saying, through me, all things are possible. And so we need to watch our step and we need to say, what do we need to do? And we can say with a lowercase w or an uppercase w, which uppercase means deity, who do we praise? Myself or himself? Who do we praise? Who do we put authority? Who do we give honor? Well, Jesus, you're good, but you're over there. And oh, I got to suck it up and pull myself up by my bootstraps and do it myself. Or do we say, Jesus, in complete surrender, I'm just going to take the next step and follow you. Learn from King Herod Agrippa. Because as Christians, we have much authority in the name of Jesus until we start using it for ourselves. So we must submit to God and surrender our lives and follow Jesus wherever he takes us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you even when you convict and you call us to something different, something new. We thank you, Father, when you begin to chip away at the cladding and even the foundation to make new to build on the solid rock on you we stand father we thank you for your love and your goodness and we just ask that we would have the courage the boldness the accountability the love of you to take the next steps and walk after you in your authority not our own we say thank you jesus for your mercy and your grace and it's in your name jesus we pray amen Amen, and you are dismissed.